We today live in a culture that is grappling with this issue at a very deep level. There's something within each one of us, a longing within each and every one of us to be clear about who we are and then to find a place of belonging and a place of acceptance. Welcome to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths. And today we continue our series from the book of Galatians, Jesus plus nothing. But Jonathan, you said that we are living in this culture that is grappling with this issue and then talking about belonging and acceptance. Sounds like you're saying we, we need to understand our identity in Christ once we come to know him. Absolutely. I, I think all of us, each one of us, we long to be accepted. We long to be loved. We long to be known. And, and we seek that acceptance in all kinds of places and often don't find it or find it in unsatisfactory ways. But the good news of the gospel tells us that the God of heaven who made us loves us and he welcomes us to himself through Christ. And through Jesus, through the gospel, by faith in him, we enter into a relationship with the God who made us. We enter into a relationship as children of a father. And we find acceptance. We find a home. And I think many of us, as you say, do want that. We want to experience that love. And maybe we can even uh, kind of understand that God may love us, know us, and accept us. But can we know him? Well, of course, in, in welcoming us home in Christ, God has made himself known to us through Jesus in a wonderful way. Jesus came to earth that we might, that we might know him. And in the scriptures, we have a record of who he is, of the words that he spoke. And we are able to know Jesus truly through his word as his spirit helps us. And so that's a great privilege of just reading our Bible. And if that's not something you have experienced doing, let me encourage you, get hold of a Bible, open it up and encounter Jesus Christ in his word. And, and you will encounter him and you can know him. Well, we're going to open our Bibles right now, so if you have one nearby, grab that and join us in Galatians chapter 3 as we begin a message, True Children of God. Here is Jonathan. One of the most fundamental questions we can ever ask ourselves is the question, who am I? Who am I? What is my real identity? How should I perceive myself, and how should others perceive me? Who am I? And because we're social beings, the question quickly becomes a question of belonging. What's my place among others? And how do I fit in with those around me? This question of identity and the question of belonging, they were questions right at the heart of the crisis at Galatia. The Gentile Christians at Galatia had thought when they first came to Christ, this was their understanding, that God would accept them simply on the basis of their faith in what Christ had done. But as we've been hearing over recent weeks, pretty soon, pretty quickly, some false missionaries came in, and they told these new believers that in order to be fully accepted by God, to be part of His family, they would need to submit to Old Testament practices, in particular the practice of circumcision. In a sense, these Gentile believers were going to need to become Jewish if they were going to be fully Christian. Well, having worked hard for the last couple of chapters to convince these believers and to convince us that we're free from the Old Testament law as a system, we're free from the religious system of Judaism, 
Paul now takes that very precious gospel truth, and he brings it to bear on this vital question of identity. How does the gospel shape my identity? How does it transform my relationships with those around me? How does it enable me truly to belong? We today live in a culture that is grappling with this issue at a very deep level. There's something within each one of us, a longing within each and every one of us to be clear about who we are and then to find a place of belonging and a place of acceptance with those around us. We all know and experience the longing to be accepted, to belong, and we all know the importance of these questions of identity. Some of us here this morning will be grappling very deeply and perhaps very painfully with questions of identity even now, with a struggle to belong, with a longing to feel acceptance. Perhaps all of us struggle with those things on some level. And if we do, I believe we do, if we do, I think we'll find in these verses this morning a message that speaks to our soul and that addresses us in our very heart of hearts. What does Paul have to say for us and to us on this vitally important topic? How does the gospel speak into it? How does the gospel shape our identity and open the way to true belonging, to true acceptance? You'll notice that Paul's discussion here doesn't quite go in a straight line. He sets out his basic point at the end of chapter 3 in verses 26 to 29, and then he kind of swings back and he dives a little deeper into the same subject in the first few verses there of chapter 4, almost as if to say, in case you missed it, verse 1, what I am saying is this, and then he goes on to show us. So the discussion really goes in two sort of short cycles with a little bit of repetition. But taking the unit as a whole, taking the section as a whole, the logical starting point is Paul's reminder of where we've come from, his reminder of what we once were. That's where we're going to begin this morning. And Paul tells us two things about where we've come from. He gently reminds us that before the gospel came to us and before the gospel transformed us, we were separated separated from one another. That's the reality that stands behind verse 28. Now in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all now in Christ, one in Christ. In a sense, verse 28 is a pretty loaded statement because the society of Paul's day was deeply divided along the lines that Paul mentions here. Within the Jewish world, Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, were far from equal, anything but. Gentiles were unclean. They were excluded from the promises of God, excluded from the fellowship of His people. They were looked down upon and despised by many. In the world of the first century, there was very little in the way of gender equality. Men generally had the advantages of privilege and of power, and women were often marginalized. And as for slaves and free, well, there's a world of difference, isn't there, between owning another person and being owned by another person. Slavery was part of the very fabric of Roman society and the Roman economy, with perhaps 10 to 15% of the population of the empire being made up of slaves, 
at this time. This was a world where division was added to division, barrier to barrier. And it would have seemed to many in Paul's day that those barriers could never be broken down, those divisions never overcome. I guess we'd all feel that in comparison to the Roman world of Paul's day, ours is a much more open, a much less divided society. And of course, in many ways, that is happily true. But we mustn't kid ourselves into thinking that ours is a world without barrier and ours is a world without division. We don't need to look very far at all. We don't need to think very hard at all to find places where women's rights are ignored and their dignity undermined, where thousands of people live in slavery, in modern-day slavery, where religious persecution and cultural persecution run rampant. But lest we even kid ourselves that these problems are all far removed from us geographically in other parts of the world, well, the scandals coming to light in the film industry in recent days, they remind us, don't they, that some ugly divisions of gender still run very deep in Western society. We all know that divisions of race haven't disappeared here in North America. You may know that one of the issues that the United States is grappling with very seriously at the minute is the astronomical incarceration rate of black men. I gather that it's now forecast that one in three black baby boys born today in the United States will end up in prison. One in three. Now that is a mark of a deeply divided society. Here in Canada, we've long prided ourselves on welcoming outsiders without reservation. That's been a kind of hallmark of ours. But at the same time, we're grappling, aren't we, with a history of deep division when it comes to our own First Nations peoples. The Prime Minister recently admitted to the UN that this is an area of failure and an area of regret for us as a nation. You'll have noticed that the current debate over the new law in Quebec about the wearing of the niqab and the burqa, those who framed and those who passed that law did so out of a feeling that those garments divide communities. But of course, the response is that the law divides communities and the debate goes on, it goes back and forth. But however you carve it up, that debate exposes deep divisions, doesn't it? The society of Paul's day was deeply divided along class, gender, and ethnic lines. And despite all the social advances we feel we've made and we have made over the last 2,000 years, I think we can all agree that we still live in a world struggling with deep divisions. Sometimes our world seems hopelessly divided. That's one aspect of where we've come from, and we're going to think about the solution later on. We were separated from one another. That's the reality. But before we move on, there's another aspect, another feature of where we've come from that Paul highlights for us, and it's this. We were slaves. We were slaves. Verse 1 of chapter 4. What I'm saying is that as long as the heir is a child, he is no different from a slave, although he owns the whole estate. He is subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Last week, we thought a little bit about this idea of the Old Testament law acting like a guardian for the people of God, for God's people until Jesus should arrive. 
a little like a nanny who shepherds some unruly children toward the school gate in the morning, guarding, goading, guiding. The Old Testament law drove God's people to Christ and to faith in Christ, and it did so by amplifying the problem of sin and making them aware of the need for a Savior. And so now in verse 2, Paul is back to this idea of being under guardians and being under trustees. A wealthy family, if they're sensible, might lock up money with a trustee until a child reaches maturity. And so verse 1, whatever the child's background, whatever the wealth in the family, even if they are heir of a great estate, until they reach 18, they might as well be a slave. No freedom, no power, no access to that wealth. And so now Paul brings the imagery home in verse 3. So also, when we were children, we were in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Now, this idea of the basic principles of the world, it needs a little bit of reflection, and it needs a little bit of unpicking for us here this morning. Back in verse 23, thinking particularly of Israel, Paul spoke of being held prisoner by the law. But now he says of both himself, a Jew, and of the Galatians as Gentiles, that they were together in slavery under the basic principles of the world. Clearly for Paul, this idea of being in slavery to the basic principles of the world, well, it's equivalent to being under slavery to the law. But for Gentiles, it can't be exactly the same. They didn't have the Old Testament law. They didn't live under the Old Testament law. They weren't uh, people under law in the sense that Israel was after Sinai. And so stepping back from the details of the Old Testament law, Paul is saying there is a more fundamental principle at work here, a principle that enslaves both Jew and Gentile. And we might call this principle the principle of worldly religion, the principle of worldly religion. The idea that people might make themselves acceptable to God through religious acts and through legal obedience. As we said before, that principle really runs through all worldly religions, and it is the default mode, the default assumption of the human heart. Observe certain rules, keep certain rituals, and I will be right with my maker. Pagan religions will teach that. And actually, if you take the Old Testament legal requirements and you sort of rip them out of the context of God's salvation story, of His purposes to redeem people in Christ, and you take the laws on their own, if you do that, well, you end up with the same assumptions and the same principles the basic principles of the world, of worldly religion. And so Paul says we were all slaves, whether Jew or Gentile. Apart from Christ, we are all in bondage to these basic principles of the world. You're listening to Encounter the Truth with Jonathan Griffiths and a message called True Children of God. It's the end of Galatians chapter 3 and the first seven verses of Galatians 4 that we're really focusing in on today as we continue our series, Jesus Plus Nothing. If you've missed any part of this series, you can always go back and listen to each and every broadcast online. Just come to our website. It's EncounterTheTruth.org. You can stream the program or download an MP3. Again, our website address is EncounterTheTruth.org. And while you're there, I want to ask you to consider a gift of support. And as you give... We want to say thank you by sending you a book. It's from Von Roberts. It's called True Friendship. 
and one that Jonathan recommends if you want to understand what true and biblical friendship looks like. Again, this is our gift to you as you give a financial gift of any amount to Encounter the Truth this month. You can find out more or give online at EncounterTheTruth.org. All right, let's get back to the message. Once again, here is Jonathan. And so Paul says we were all slaves. Whether Jew or Gentile, apart from Christ, we are all in bondage to these basic principles of the world, separated from one another in slavery to worldly religion. That's where we've come from. That's the background that Paul reminds us of. But now Paul turns to remind us of what Christ has done, of what God has done for us. Verse 4, when the time had fully come, God sent His Son, born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights as sons. To redeem a people in slavery to the basic principles of the world, God sent His Son into the world as a human being. That's what is meant by saying that He was born of a woman. He was a true human being. He entered into the human situation in its fullness. He didn't come down into this messy world, this damaged world, in this dangerous world, wearing a chemical protection suit and a gas mask that he might be insulated from it. He didn't do what workers might when they enter an area of toxic contamination. No, he jumped in with both feet. He rolled up his sleeves, and he became human. Sometimes it's possible to conduct a rescue of vulnerable people kind of remotely, send in food and supplies or send instructions and send funds, equip and enable people in a dangerous situation to rescue themselves. But in some situations, people are simply helpless to help themselves. The situation is too bad. The need is too great. And if a rescue is going to happen in such a situation, well, the rescuers, they're going to need to roll up their sleeves. They're going to need to get their hands dirty. They're going to need to go right in. You'll have heard the reports of the Boyle family who have recently been rescued from a Taliban-linked group in Pakistan after a number of years in captivity, and they've been returned actually to family quite near here. Pakistani forces secured the release, I understand, but it's been reported that a group of U.S. Navy SEALs were on standby to go in and to get the job done if the Pakistani forces weren't successful. And of course, the Navy SEALs, they, they epitomize this kind of a rescue, don't they? They have the reputation for being able to conduct the riskiest and the most complex boots on the ground, dangerous operations when the stakes are the highest. When the time came for God to rescue a people in slavery to sin, He didn't drop an aid package from a helicopter. He didn't send down a, a list of self-help guidelines. He didn't just write a check. No, He entered the mess of humanity in the person of His Son, boots on the ground as it were, and He achieved the rescue Himself. And not only did Jesus enter the mess of humanity by being born of a woman, he also came as one born specifically under the law. He was born under the Old Testament law. He was born as a Jew. And he did that, verse 5, to redeem those under the law. Remember that the idea of redemption is to buy something back. In the case of a slave, it is to buy their freedom. And Jesus bought freedom 
from the law and its demands by being born under the law, through living under the law. Unique among all human beings in history, Jesus is the one man who can lay claim to living out and fully satisfying the law of God without fault and with complete perfection. He ticked every box, he crossed every T, he dotted every I. He is the one man who could stand before the Father on the day of judgment and deserve no condemnation, but instead merit the Father's blessing and receive his commendation instead. But Jesus didn't bring redemption simply by the record of his perfect life. He brought it through his death, a death he died not for anything he had done, not for any failure on his part, not for any transgression on his record, but a death he died in order to pay the price of lawbreakers, of sinners, of guilty people who rightly deserve the judgment of God. He died as our substitute, as my substitute and yours. He was able to be a fitting and an appropriate substitute for us because like us, well, he was born of a woman. He was a true human being. And he was able to free us from the law's demands because he, the perfect lawkeeper born under law, bore the law's penalty that you and I deserve. It was a fitting swap. It was a perfect exchange. What were we in our sin? We were separated from one another. We were slaves, slaves to sin. We were facing God's condemnation. But what has God done for us? He sent His Son. In the person of His Son, He's entered the mess of our situation, and He has done so to redeem us. And so finally then, what have we become? In light of the gospel, through what Jesus has done, who are we now? What are we now? Paul's answer, loud and clear, repeated a number of times throughout the passage, is simply this. We have become sons and daughters of God. We now, verse 5, re receive the full rights of sons. And because you are sons, verse 6, God sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, the Spirit who calls out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And since you are a son, God made you also an heir. The child of a wealthy family wasn't going to inherit anything until they reached adulthood. While they were still under the care of the nanny, the guardian, they weren't going to get the title deeds for the estate. They weren't going to get the keys for the luxury car. They weren't going to get the stock certificates. They weren't going to get the access code to the vault. But once the heir reaches adulthood, once the guardian's contract is finished, then he receives all that is coming to him. Then she receives all that is coming to her. Well, God's people were under the guardianship of the law, and actually enslaved to the law, to use Paul's language, they did not have access to the fullness of God's salvation. They didn't have access to all that He had in store for them, the fullness of His blessing. But now that they have been redeemed, now that they have been set free, now that the age of the law's guardianship has passed, now that the time has come, as Paul says, well, now God's children enter into their inheritance. Now God puts His Spirit into our hearts. Now we are heirs of His salvation blessing. We call on Him as Abba Father. We enjoy an open access to Him through the Son. We have the assurance of an eternity spent 
in his presence. That's Jonathan Griffiths here on Encounter the Truth, wrapping up this first part of a message called True Children of God. And we're going to continue this message next time as we continue to look at how the gospel shapes our identity and transforms our relationships with others. If you want to make sure you don't miss the broadcast, of course, you can be listening to your radio and hope that you'll do that. But if you happen to do miss Jonathan's teaching on the radio, you can always come to our website and listen online. Just stop by EncounterTheTruth.org. And whether you listen online or through the radio, we're able to bring you Jonathan's teaching because of your generosity. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we want to say thank you by sending you a book entitled True Friendship. It's written by Von Roberts, and it's just our way of saying thanks for your financial support this month. You can give online at EncounterTheTruth.org or when you call us at 833-99-TRUTH. That's 833-998-7884. Again, our website is EncounterTheTruth.org. Well, thanks for doing that and for tuning in today. For Jonathan Griffiths and our producer, Mark Bretta, I'm Steve Hiller. Join us next time.